0: The Leader Assistant Podcast exists to encourage and challenge assistants to become confident, game-changing leader assistants. Hey friends, welcome to episode 126 of the Leader Assistant Podcast. It's your host, Jeremy Burrows, and I am excited for another Ask Me Anything episode. This one is Ask Me Anything about the book. There are Lots and lots of questions that I've received over the last year or so about the Leader Assistant book, uh, which is on Amazon at amazon.leaderassistant.com. If you haven't checked it out yet, I encourage you to uh, definitely check it out. Um, Let me know what you think. Um, But yeah, these are some questions that people have submitted over the last year or so. And uh, these are all pretty much anonymous because I just got them so many times and um, just wanted to answer them. So So, thanks for your support on the book. It's a number one Amazon bestseller, uh, multiple categories, and it's been such a fun ride and a well-received book. And I'm most excited about the impact that it's made on your careers and your partnerships with your executives and on your confidence uh, and helping you avoid and resist burnout. So yeah, Uh, This is going to be an Ask Me Anything session about the book. So first question is, how do you handle negative reviews about your book? Now, this is a good one. Um, I'm actually going to share a negative review. I don't know if you all have seen those uh, clips where celebrities are reading tweets that trolls or people that don't like them have tweeted to them. Uh, It's pretty funny. I I love it because it, one, it reminds you that you're human, that everybody's human, and that we should be kinder to people. Two, it shows that these celebrities are willing to um, have fun and not take things personally and and just are confident enough in themselves to um, participate in something like that. So... I wanted to have a little fun, and I wanted to read one of the negative uh, reviews in this episode, and then talk about how I handle them. So, this one is a one-star review from uh, February, and the title of the review is "Do Not Recommend." So that's uh, you know that's probably why they rated it one star because they don't re- recommend it. Um, it's from the United States, uh, a user Amazon account named Flossie May. So, hi, Flossie Mae, whoever you are and wherever you are. Thanks for taking time to check out the book, even though if you didn't like it. Uh, The review says, I did not enjoy this book. Jeremy has a bigger budget and more authority than a ministerial assistant. Hard to relate to. So, that's one of the negative reviews. Uh, One-star review. Um, Again, I appreciate anybody leaving reviews, even if they're negative, just because it shows that people actually tried the book out and... Checked it out, and if it's not for Flossie May, it's not for Flossie May. So, um, but what's interesting is you know to answer this question, how do you handle negative reviews? Well, this one was interesting for a couple reasons, and the the kind of big picture, high level way that I try to handle them is just to not take them personally, not to attach my worth to the reviews. So, like if I get a one star review. I do my best to not get depressed and, re- and remember that it just, just must not have been for them. And that's okay. This, this book is not for everyone. Um, but I also try to really put myself in the shoes of the reviewer and try to understand why it didn't connect with them. Because I'm always about growing. I'm always about trying to take feedback and get better and better and better. So, this one's interesting because it says first, it says Jeremy has a bigger budget um, than a ministerial assistant. A ministerial assistant um, is typically a pastor's assistant, uh, somebody in ministry in a nonprofit, um, in a church, um, which the kind of ironic thing is I was a ministerial assistant for 12 years. So, I worked at a nonprofit with, um, a lower budget and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I know what it's like to be a ministerial assistant because that was my first foray into the, um, EA world. Um, and then, you know, they say it was hard to relate to. So I totally understand that be, now that I'm in the you know corporate world, or maybe because I was even in a large, large church. I was in a large nonprofit um, compared to most churches in the state of Missouri. For example, we were one of the biggest churches in the state of Missouri. And there's there's just putting myself in the reviewer's shoes. I'm like, okay, they, they just can't relate, and that's totally fine. Um, but I'm also taking it as, okay, there might be some other issues where they don't feel they have the authority and they don't feel they have chance or hope to ever get that, that leadership or that strategic authority that they see that I have. Um, And that's part of why I wrote the book is to hopefully encourage people like, like this, this reviewer to see that even in their smaller or, you know, lower budget context, there's still leadership traits that you can exhibit and there's still impact that you can make. So, again, I try to take these negative reviews. I try to think about okay, what are they really saying? If they're really saying anything, and oftentimes, it's not helpful at all oftentimes there's no feedback in it that's actually helpful they just clearly clearly miss the mark and there's nothing I can do about it and it's not about me trying to do something it's about me trying to learn and grow um, and then also reminding myself that I'm a valuable human being no matter what a negative review negative review says so we'll talk about uh, that a little bit more in the next episode when I'm going to talk about uh, I'm, I'm going to answer questions related to the podcast and I've got some negative reviews on um, On the podcast too. And I'll actually share a little bit more about how I've learned from those as well. So uh, the next question is uh, regarding the book is how long did it take you to write the book? And what kind of hurdles did you experience during the process? So it took me, I mean, ultimately, I'd like to say it took me four years because I started blogging four years before I published the book. And a lot of the writing that I had done was either, was was really a start, a draft of the book. And so I had a lot of practice. I had a lot of writing built up. But when, from the time that I actually said, all right, I'm going to sit down and write a book. I'm going to figure out the outline. I'm actually going to do this uh, till the time that I published it. It was probably, let's see, I think it was in maybe September or October, so then November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June. i got to do my math. Uh, it's about six to eight months. Um, now, it was done, though, about two or three months before it published. It, it was a long process, so once I was actually done writing it, it still had a couple, three months to before it published. So really... The, the sit down and writing it portion was probably more like five or six months, um, overall. So as far as, uh, what kind of hurdles did I experience? Um, uh, quite a, quite a few. Um, but the first or the biggest one I would say is just emotionally, it was very draining. It was very vulnerable to write down my, some of my story, um, uh, lots of personal uh, stuff, um, that I shared. Um, and my experience and some of the mistakes I made and some of the stuff that, um, with my family and, um, all that. And that was really, really challenging and emotional to really wrestle with all that. But really it was about, okay, I'm going to publish this book and people are going to not just know me, but they're going to, um, either accept it or reject it. <laughs> and I just really had to wrestle with, okay, is, is anybody going to, really enjoy this? Is this actually going to be helpful? Am I wasting my time? All those kinds of doubts that you can imagine come up anytime you try to create something or even anytime you try to present a proposal or a a slide deck, um, you know, all those thoughts came up and those fears and those uh, anxieties kind of came to the surface. So um, next question is, in hindsight, is there anything that you wished you would have added to your book. So I put a lot in there. Uh, I would say there's times where I went more at a surface level instead of really digging in and going as deep as I would have liked to. So I, I probably would have liked to go deeper in a few areas. However, I am happy with how it turned out, and I'm glad that I went broad and really tried to cover everything so that it could kind of be a guide for assistance. But the one thing that I wish I could have added, but it really wasn't good timing, honestly, but is I wish I would have added a chapter on working remotely. Um, Now I actually do work full time remote. Uh, I moved across the state and I uh, live in Kansas City. My company's in St. Louis. My executive's in St. Louis. Um, so I actually have more experience. Um, and that's happened since after the, the book was published. Um, but I had worked from home off and on here and there. And so I had a little bit, of, but I just didn't feel like I had a lot of experience. And the pandemic, when I was done with the book, the pandemic hadn't really started yet. Uh, by the time it had published, it obviously was in the middle of the the COVID-19 pandemic, Um, but the remote stuff wasn't, I guess, as crazy in the front of everybody's mind as it was two months after I (laughs) submitted the manuscript. Um, So anyway, I think that at some point I'd love to maybe do a revision and add a remote working chapter in the book, Um, but we'll see, we'll see. Are you ready to elevate your career in 2024? I'm Maggie Olson, founder of NOVA Chief of Staff Certification, the first of its kind online course for aspiring and existing chiefs of staff. With curriculum taken directly from on-the-job responsibilities, NOVA's self-paced learning modules provides you with hands-on experience so you can feel competent and confident moving into a chief of staff style role. It's the perfect next step for executive assistants. Head to leaderassistant.com slash Nova to learn more, grab the syllabus and enroll today. Uh, Another question is how much money did it cost you to publish the book? So I know exactly how much money it cost me to publish the book. This doesn't mean that it's going to cost this much for you if you decide to write a book. Um, I hired a few different people, and I'll kind of walk through that real quick. So I hired a self-publishing partner. Um, So it's kind of in the middle of kind of a middle ground as far as I didn't have a publishing company deal and like publish my book. And I also didn't just self-publish it all on my own. So I kind of had a partner that I worked with. So it's kind of in between um, self-publishing partner to uh, publish the leader assistant. And they helped me, you know, that, that fee, their fee was pretty pricey, but that included graphic design on the interior of the book, also the cover, exterior design for the hardcover and the paperback uh, and the audiobook, you know, image and all that kind of stuff. And then it also covered some editing and proofreading. It covered setting up all the Amazon ISBN numbers and um giving me guidance on the audiobook uh and really just holding my hand throughout the process and saying, all right, for the next thirty days this is what you need to focus on. This is what you need to focus on then these are the these are the key dates, etc. So I spent money on that. I also um was really felt really strongly about doing the audiobook myself, uh recording it myself, but I really I knew it was gonna be a lot of work to read it and be be the voice of the audiobook that I didn't want to put all the extra work on top of that to recording it and editing it myself. So I actually hired a audio producer and went into a professional studio to record the, bu- the book and have them edit it and master it um, so that it would be, one, so that it would be well done and professional, but two, so that I could actually just focus on spinning... Ten hours in the studio reading my book nonstop, so that was that was fun. That was I actually did it over three sessions, but it was a, it was a long process. Um, and then I also hired a, a an additional copy editor to go line by line and just tear it up, um, make sure things f- uh, flow from one thing to another or from one chapter to another. Make make sure there's you know it's grammatically correct. Um, check for typos, all that kind of stuff, but really just delete, delete, delete all the excess and make it as good as it could possibly be. So I paid a copy editor to do that as well. And then there are a few small like software purchases. I use a software called Scrivener, um, to actually write the book. It's, it helped me focus and organize the book much, much better than like Google docs or Microsoft word. um, but yeah, so total, uh, my total book expenses, um, and this was a big investment um, for my family. Um, super thankful for my wife being open to doing this and supportive throughout the whole process. In fact, she did a ton of editing and a ton of review and really gave me a lot of good feedback and said, yeah, you shouldn't say this here. This is going to offend people or you shouldn't do this because it's going to not make sense or people aren't going to be able to relate or, you know, she helped a ton. So I'm very, very thankful, um, for her perspective and insight, um, in making the book better. But the total expense, um, was $19,692 and 59 cents. So just under $20,000 investment, um, for the book. So again, I didn't want to, you know, half-ass it, if you will. <laughs> um, I wanted to do a very professional book with a very professional cover that didn't have a bunch of typos, that looked good, um, because this was a big project. And I thought, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it right. And so we invested that money um, in this in this process. And I'm very, very thankful and and, and very blessed that I even... Could do that, um, that I didn't have to, you know, take a bunch of credit card debt on just to pay for it and just to do this. Um, And then ultimately, it took um, less than I thought it would be, less time than I thought it would to make that money back. And so, um, thanks to all your support and the feedback on the book, has, has just been just mostly positive, And it's helped so many people, uh, that thankfully, uh, I was able to make my money back in like, I think it was like six months or something. I was able to make the money back, um, through pre-sales and, um, you know, just Amazon sales and whatnot. And yeah, it's been a huge, it was a huge investment. And so what I wanted to say about this though, is if you're thinking about writing a book, you don't have to spend twenty thousand dollars. Okay, don't let that be your uh, kind of roadblock to do this. If you really want to do it, you can do it. I've kn- I know other authors that have done it for five thousand. I know other authors that have done it for ten thousand. You know, I know you can make it work. You can do it. Depending on how much you want to do yourself, depending on how much your editor is. If you want to do an editor at all, you know, depending on how much the book cover is and how much help you want along the process and along the way. But, um, I will say though, if you are thinking about writing a book, uh, that the best advice that I ever got, and this is exactly what I followed, um, the three or four years leading up to when I actually sat down and wrote, wrote the book was from Seth Godin. I was listening to him on a podcast and he said, you know, people come up to me, he's a marketing guy. And he's like, people come up to me and they say, hey, Seth, I've been writing this book for the last three or four years, and I think it's ready. I think I'm ready to share it with the world. What do you recommend I do? How do I get this out there? And he, he, his answer to those people was essentially this, you've been doing it all wrong. You should have been getting your ideas out into the world for the last three to four years. And that's what you should have spent your time on. And then you could come to me and say, hey, I've been putting my ideas out into the world to see which ones stick, see which ones are helpful, growing my reach and my audience and my email list. And now I'm ready to write a book. And it was just the simplest thing I heard in a podcast while I was mowing my yard. And I was just like, man, that makes so much sense. That's what I'm going to do. So that's what I did. I spent three to four years blogging and coaching and speaking and doing all of this LinkedIn outreach and LinkedIn posts and just sharing my ideas and just really got a lot of feedback from you all on what was sticking, what wasn't sticking, what what was helpful, what wasn't. And that really, honestly, I think that's why the book has been so successful. um, Because these ideas and um, tactics and tips that I put in the book are not just something that just came straight from my crazy brain and onto the page, uh, they went through a rigorous, uh, three or four year process of, and vetting by you all, my readers and listeners and, and followers. And so, yeah, thanks for reading all my stuff over the years and sharing what, what impacts you and letting me know, um, what was helpful. So anyway, that's, uh, that's kind of my, uh, answer on that. Um, It was an expensive investment, but investing in yourself is one of the best ways to invest, in my opinion. And it worked out, thankfully. So uh, hopefully that's helpful. Hopefully that's uh, encouraging. If you are looking at doing that, please feel free to ping me. Um, I'm I'm constantly coaching other uh, assistants or even just authors on the whole process and how to write a book and sell a number one Amazon bestseller. Um, I just share all the things that have helped me. So um, yeah, ping me if you're interested in that. I do want to wrap up real quick with two quick questions uh, from specific chapters in the book that somebody uh, sent me. One was from chapter 15, which is about goal setting. Um, And it says, the question is, what if your executive does not have Clear KPIs for the first 30 to 60 days for their new EA that they've hired. Um, What does that say about the executive or the organization? And this person was asking because they've had a recent interview where they asked a question like this and the executive director basically said, well, you just got to manage different personalities. And she was trying to figure out, okay, is this a sign that the executive, um, and the organization is not a good place to work, what what does this say if they don't have clear um, key performance indicators or OKRs, which are objective and key results, uh, for the first 30, 60, 90 days for that hire? And I would just say uh, it depends. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes that could mean, yes, it's not a good organization to work for, they're not very organized, they don't have their priorities, they don't have a good systems and structure, but sometimes that just means... They need a really, really good EA to come in and run that and, and self-manage, which most EAs honestly are self-managed, and we have to manage our, our own KPIs, and we have to manage our own goals, and they, this could be a huge win because you could come in and freaking own it and come up with those 90-day goals, say, listen, this is what I want to happen the first 90 days of my when I work with this uh, executive at this new company, so... Very, very hard to answer that without knowing all the rest of the context, but that's my my, uh, quick attempt. And then the last question was about Chapter 17, which is on resumes. That's called The Perfect Resume. And um, she asks, you recommend a one-page resume. How does this stay current with the times? um, When most HR professionals that I've, you know, interacted with on LinkedIn have said up to two pages is perfectly acceptable. And what I would say is up to two pages, sure, that's totally acceptable. But if you want your resume to stand out, if you want people to actually read it, keep it to one page and go to leaderassistant.com slash resume tips. That's leaderassistant.com slash resume tips, um, or read chapter 17 of the leader assistant book. And you'll, you'll kind of get some good resume tips, but keep it to one page. I mean, there's plenty of things that you can leave off, uh, that you can shorten. Um, you know, even changing the font size just a little bit, keep it to one page. You'll have a better chance of them reviewing and Getting you that phone call in my opinion. So, all right. Well, thanks for listening. Hopefully that was helpful. Um, thanks again for your support on the book. You can check it out on Amazon at amazon.leaderassistant.com. And next week's episode is ask me anything about the podcast. So I'm going to answer some questions about the podcast that you're listening to right now. So talk to you next time. Thank you for being a leader. Please review on Apple Podcasts. GoBullers.com